We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Kansas State is taking on TCU this weekend for the Big 12 Championship, and it has playoff implications. The Kansas City Chiefs take on the Cincinnati Bengals in a rematch of last year, and the transfer portal is opening very, very soon. I have everything you need to know right here on the Best Friday presented by Charlie Hustle. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. What's up, guys? This is the Best Everything presented by Charlie Hustle. I am your host, Michaela Bennett. And normally I start with the Chiefs on this show. But this week, we are actually down in Arlington, Texas for the Big 12 Championship, TCU versus K-State. All the guys from the Three Mile Podcast are down there for the game, hanging out, doing live shows, everything that they would ever need at K-State. Fans, check them out. If you're down there, link up with them, whatever you need to do. But on 3Mod this week, they talked about just that. They talked about the game this week and how it has playoff implications, how this is a prime game. It is kickoff. 11 a.m. It is, you know, big television, national news, and K-State has a really good chance to make an upset, to climb the top 10. You know, they already broke in top 10 in college football playoff um, rankings, but maybe they can keep climbing. This is a big game for the Wildcats, and taking on TCU, they could potentially just spoil their season. All the national spotlight flowing in flooding down on the cats right now top 10 in the college football playoff poll college game day is going to be at the big 12 championship game on saturday paul feinbaum appears to have been muted by his bosses coming with a very meek apology for his comment that nobody would be watching uh the big 12 championship game which will have espn's number one crew uh fowler and herb street along with holly Rowe doing the game it's the only top 10 matchup of the day now sounds like the sugar bowl really is a certainty i mean i, I don't Derek. where do i even where do i even start here where do we start on all the, the love that's coming in for the Cats right now? Well, I will start by saying it, it's kind of been a little consistent throughout the year for K-State specifically. I mean, this is, what, the third week in a row. They're the highest-ranked three-loss team in America, the only three-loss team in the top ten. Um, and I know a lot of the metrics do back it up, but it's, it is interesting that of all the teams with, you know, three losses, everyone 
that follows college football, that ranks college football, that covers college football, says Kansas State's easily the best one. Um, I agree. I guess I just didn't I didn't expect it to be a consensus. I thought, you know, they would usually get the the, the normal disrespect because of uh, the lack of name uh, that they they bring to the table or maybe, you know, punch in terms of audience that they bring to the table. But they've gotten a lot of respect throughout the year. So Kansas State fans can't really complain about the lack of respect Kansas State's received this year. Uh, no, we can in, find ways to complain. <laughs> in ways, they probably, you know, gotten more than they deserved at times. Now they're getting exactly what they deserve, um, and it's a good thing. But I'll also say, coinciding with that, it's just a big spotlight on the Big 12 the last couple of weeks. I think people have really taken notice how, how competitive the league was, um, how exceptional the league was throughout the – and how it could be even without Texas and Oklahoma. It's the second year in a row without either one being in the Big 12 championship game. Um it's always been known to be a basketball league, but it's, you know, there's a reason why college game day picked the big 12 championship to go to when it could have went to anything, you know, probably aside from the PAC 12. Yeah. I mean, the committee obviously really respects K-State. They've respected them all year. I, I thought they would come in at number nine. I'm surprised that Clemson only dropped one spot. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me because Clemson doesn't have really any good wins. And, they drop one spot for losing to South Carolina at Clemson on their home field, while Oregon on the road at Oregon State drops seven spots, losing to a team the committee ranked 15th in Oregon State. So that that doesn't make any sense to me. But, I mean, I digress. So you can't really complain much. I mean, the committee has shown a lot of love and respect to K-State. So I don't have any issues there. Yeah, I tell you what, if I was going to – if you were going to argue against Kansas State being in the top ten, I know we don't want to do that. But technically, they haven't beat a team ranked in the top twenty-five. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you do look at K-State's resume. That you know, it's a bunch of seven or six-win teams, right? That they've defeated. They haven't beat anybody with eight wins or more on the, the season. Now they played a tough schedule, Tulane, largely because of that. But it's a good point. I mean, they they don't have that necessarily resume win um, that really sticks out on your profile. So. I, I just I've avoided calling that out all year because we don't want to harp on any sort of negative there. But I, I think, John, getting back to your point about the significance of this, you know, when you look at the playoff rankings, Ohio State being fifth, one of the largest fan bases in the country. You know, you got Alabama at sixth, one of the largest fan bases in America. You know, you look at last year's Big 12 championship at Baylor, Oklahoma State, and I don't remember what the TV ratings were, but it didn't necessarily have playoff implications. Oklahoma State, if they won, was had a small chance to sneak in, but it was unlikely still. Uh, you know, this one has playoff implications. So Ohio State fans, Alabama fans, they're going to be glued to their TV, hoping for TCU to lose, rooting for K-State. And K-State being really the lone championship game at that 11 a.m. kickoff time, other than, you know, my, my MAC conference, which used to be on Friday night. There's no competition. It's the college game day game. It's the number one crew. It is a huge opportunity to shine a spotlight on the Kansas State program, build the brand. Uh, the TV rating should be insane for this game. So uh, I, I think it's a monumental opportunity to do that. And, you know, I look at the Sugar Bowl the same way. You know, you're going to have a real opportunity to have back-to-back -back games with major ratings because of the opponent you're playing or the impact of the game. Well, getting back into last week, the Kansas City Chiefs won against the Los Angeles Rams and wasn't exactly the prettiest game, but they did it. And Travis Kelsey had a touchdown. Again, Travis Kelsey and a 10 touchdown is one of the best bets. 
I will take every single week. But on the breakdown this week, Matt Castle talks about the offensive play where Travis Kelsey got the touchdown and what worked well for him and how that big man can just find the end zone. It really is remarkable. And we notice as we were talking about this play before the show, getting ready, we noticed something. I, it was funny. I, I didn't I didn't happen to notice as I was putting this together. Um, but we noticed as we were talking through it, you'll see uh, it, you can see it best from the sideline angle as Kelsey, you know, breaks into the open field. You'll see Isaiah Pacheco um, kind of stay in pitch phase behind him. And Kelsey right. thinks about it. He almost he almost pitches this ball over to Pacheco, and he probably would have scored if he did it. But uh, it's probably safer that Kelsey held on to it and did it himself. But it's just funny, like the creativity that extends to these players too when they get the ball in the open field. Watch this as Kelsey makes this move and Pacheco he spots Pacheco. Oh, no, <laughs> he literally. He, I thought he was going to lateral it. I mean, and you it, you'll even see it just in this angle right here. You you really don't understand it until you watch it. Uh, for a few times but after he makes this catch right here this defender's coming up for him and gives him a little oh, nope uh, and then <laughs> arm tackle sorry into the end zone it's it's a thing of beauty right here i mean that guy is special can you imagine how that building would have exploded if he pitched that ball <laughs> oh my gosh that would have been a really long pitch too i mean i would have given him a lot of credit and that would have took yeah. a lot of brass in order to do that yeah, and it's probably for the best. We've seen the one area we've seen Kelsey have some uh, issues in the past or when he has to uh, pitch that ball or, or throw it downfield. Um, it hasn't always gone well. but uh, Yeah, just keep the ball uh, in your hands, big fella. That's all you need to do because you're good enough as it is. <laughs> now, looking ahead for this week, Kansas City Chiefs are taking on the Cincinnati Bengals in a rematch of last year's AFC Championship game. And the Bengals always just seem to play the Chiefs well. And on Outside the Churches this week, BJ, Nick, and Tucker talked about the Chiefs offense, but not the one that we just broke down, the running game and how Isaiah Pacheco could really make an impact in this rematch. And the Chiefs running game could really make an impact. So maybe it's a different type of game than what we're used to by the Chiefs. Maybe that the running game is what's going to defeat the Bengals. But on Outside the Churches, they talked about just that and how this really is a key factor in winning this game. As far as like them them turning the screws and, and locking yep. the doors on the game. So it's good to see the Chiefs have established a run game this year versus Cincinnati. And, mm -hmm. and honestly, I think this Kansas City team has really turned a corner since Mahomes has decided to run the ball more effectively from the QB because teams weren't respecting yeah. that this year from him. Well, when you look at the stats from last year, Tucker, I'll jump in here real quick and then we'll yeah, get into our, our blind nil segments. But, you know, one of the areas when you look at the, the games last year, I'm going to bring up the stats right now to make sure I, I get them right. Um, but the Chiefs were able to run the ball actually pretty effectively against the Bengals in both those games. At least when you look at the box score at the end of the game, I don't think there were a bunch of or a handful of like, you know, single runs that kind of skewed the numbers. But I know in the first matchup, as I bring it up here, uh, the Chiefs were able to 24 carries for 139 yards um, in that first matchup. Um, or excuse me, in that that week 17 matchup, they lost. Then Jarek McKinnon had 12 carries for 65 yards in that game. And then in the other one, excuse me, that was the playoff game. In the other game, uh, in the playoffs, they were able to run for 155 yards with Darrell Williams carrying it 14 times for 88 yards with a 6.3 yards per carry average. I mean, they averaged over six yards a carry in those two games over 250 yards rushing uh, combined in those games. So they're actually finding success there, but this is 
talked about it with Brett Coleman this week. The 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 chess match uh, that the Chiefs have kind of been dealing with all year is how are teams schematically going to play against them? Because what the Bengals had done is what we started to see with Tyree Kill. A lot of teams do drop eight. Don't let Patrick Mahomes put a spy on him. Don't let him scramble and then make them chip away down the field. Well, this year teams are playing a whole lot more man because Tyreek Hill isn't on the field anymore. They're not terrified to play man defense. Well, what are the Bengals going to do? Because this team is significant is set up better to beat all different types of coverages than they were in the years past. We've seen them beat man. We've seen them beat zone with Juju and MVS and all these guys being on the same page of where to go against zone coverage. How are the Bengals who had success against Patrick Mahomes? We just said, Worst second half or worst half of football we've seen from Mahomes. A lot of dropping eight. I don't think they can get away with that this year, the way that the Chiefs' offense is built. So, again, what is that chess match of how are the Bengals going to go up against this particular group of offensive skill guys for the Chiefs? Well, I think it's really interesting, too, when you start to look at the the rushing numbers, BJ. You, you saying that made me bring this up. You look at the last three games, 117 rush yards, 163 rushing yards, 155. It's 77 against the Titans, but then 112 against the Niners. And then that Niners game is when Pacheco was named the starter. So you're seeing a, a lot of good things happen in the rushing game, and I think that's, what, five games there? Um, and you're averaging about 124, about almost 125 yards per game when it comes to, yeah. to rush, running the ball. So uh, seeing some improvement there, and I'm excited to see what they can do on the ground. Well, a big game for the Chiefs indeed, but another big deal at Kansas City Sports Network. We have no other pod now joining Kansas City Sports Network to talk everything soccer in Kansas City. And Dan Hooser, Chris Wright, sat down with Jenna Weinbrenner to talk about soccer in Kansas City and how, you know, she grew up playing and kind of tells her story. And it's a really good show it is if you like soccer in the Kansas City area we have you covered we have three shows now soccer talks currently and no other pod and on no other pod this week those three sat down to talk about Jenna's experience and what it's like playing in Kansas City yeah I think um when I was still in college and they were they were back from Utah for the first season it was really exciting um just hoping that they would stay here uh when my time came to enter my name into the draft and then um, hearing my name called during the draft to come back home to Kansas City was something um, incredibly special that I don't think I'll ever forget uh, to be able to come home and, and play in front of friends and family again uh, and, and family, older grandparents that aren't able to travel to games uh, is just something that is really hard to put into words. And I think it's really um, a special moment that not a lot of people get to live through. Absolutely. I mean, it leads uh, kind of leads right back into what we have written down here we do make a little bit of an outline on this show we kind of we kind of just wing it but uh you know we're as nwsl fans you know we don't really get a good look into the draft process um it's not exactly you know in the media all over the place right but uh can, can you walk us through your draft day experience like beat for beat i mean did you know if casey current were interested in you um were you surprised what what kind of emotions surrounded that day yeah, I think that day was um, a roller coaster of emotions. I was able to be home with my family. We had a few friends over. Uh, my parents got some, you know, decorated cookies and food. Um, it was a long process. The draft, I think, was like five hours long or something like that. And um, I was actually, I was in a master's class that was only seven days long. So I was missing. I had to tell my professor that I wasn't going to be in class for the one, like, 
I was missing one of seven days that the class was going on. Um, so in the back of my head, like I was like, oh my gosh, I have so much work that I need to do before tomorrow. Um, but yeah, it was a long, long day full of emotions. I would say, you know, everyone was just kind of anxious waiting and they take a very long time on the draft. I would say like, they like to talk about every single pick and, um, when you're just waiting, not knowing if your name's going to get called, it, it, the tension starts to rise, I think. Um, I was picked in the fourth round, so that was the last round. And I think by then it was just kind of a sense of relief. Uh, I hadn't talked to Kansas City myself, but I knew that my coaches uh, were in contact with them. And I knew the staff at the time. I had I'd, Obviously, I've grown up here, so I knew that they knew of me and that my name was in the, uh, in, in the pickings, but I wasn't – I wasn't sure if they were going to pick me or if I was going to come home. Um, so to hear my name and, and have friends and family there was a really special moment. Hey, I got to tell you guys about our friends at Liquid Death. And by now, you guys already know that you might see some strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is the water called Liquid Death? Say it with me, it'll brutally murder your thirst. And their infinitely recycled tall boy cans are here helping to bring death to plastic bottles as well. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to kill plastic pollution. I've got the severed lime flavor with me here. I also love the berry flavor. And also, just the straight still water is incredible. I like uh, I like drinking the water out of the can. It makes you feel powerful makes you feel uh, authoritative so here's what you gotta do go to liquiddeath.com slash kcsn to find their store locator tool or you can go get liquid death at your local target walmart or 7-eleven go check them out at liquiddeath.com slash kcsn we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Well, as we transition into bowl season for college football, it is also transfer season and the transfer portal will open Monday, but 
who from Mizzou is going to transfer and what is the Tigers future team going to look like on Mizzou that's who Tucker Dave and Maggie sat down to talk about just that and how unfortunately some of the transfers the the Tigers look worse um than they did but maybe they'll have some new rookies next year that are great they sat down to talk about that analyze the moves and who they think is going to transfer maybe who could potentially transfer to Mizzou we don't know but it is Monday that the transfer portal opens, and there is going to be a lot of movement, it seems, in college football. Before we completely, totally move away from Dom Lovett, um, there is still a chance, right? He can enter the transfer portal, but he can also return. Right, Gabe, that's what I was going to ask you. What do you What do you think that chance is? Very small. Um, not impossible, but I, I think the decision has been made. Um, okay. you know, and I, I think, think it will be elsewhere. I don't think Mizzou can offer him what he wants. I mean, if I'm, uh, if the rumors to I, what I've heard are correct, I don't think that Mizzou can offer him what he wants, but I mean, I don't know. I don't sit in on those meetings. I think they like could. That. I think Missouri could find a guy to write that check. Yeah. Um, at some point you have to decide if you should, mm. you know, I mean, um, uh, but I, I think they could, but I don't know if that would necessarily keep him here. That's that's the next thing I kind of want to ask about is kind of the on-field ramifications of this. Is this like a catastrophic thing? Uh, because to me, I don't on the field. This isn't like losing a Tyler Beatty who had thirty-seven percent of your offense last season. Uh, well, I don't think I don't think it's that big of a deal. Or, I looked it up. Like that, Dom had thirty-one percent of Missouri or 33% of Missouri's receiving yards. And I think 27% of their catches, some 30% of their catches somewhere in that range, whatever. He had the second highest percentage of yards and the third highest percentage of catches of anybody in the sec. The only more valuable receiver in the sec was Will Shepard at Vanderbilt. Now the flip side of that is Missouri's passing game still wasn't very good. He only had three touchdowns. Um, and I think Luther Burden will now play the position he played this year. I think Luther will go mm -hmm. into the slot. And I think Luther will have better numbers next year than Dominic had this year. The question is if they have somebody who has better numbers at Luther's spot than Luther had this year. And I don't know. Yeah. Well, and we still have great guys in the room. I mean, when, when I was thinking that Dom was mm -hmm. staying, I was looking at it like, next year we probably have the best, one of the best wide receiver rooms in the country. Like uh, without tight ends, because I would say uh, Georgia's pretty much up there with tight ends. Uh, but I would say we have one of the tops. I mean, you you look at Dom Lovett and Luther Burden, who alone are, you know, very talented. I like what I've seen from Makai Miller. Uh, I mean, he kind of almost won us that game <laughs> on, uh, you know, on uh, Friday. You, you still have Mookie Cooper. You possibly have Chance Looper back. I mean, I still like what we see even without Dom. I wish we had Dom. I'm not going to say that I'm glad he's gone, but I'm not. It doesn't hit me as hard as maybe losing like Sam Hornwood. I, I don't think it's the end of the world is basically what I was just trying to say. I don't think I don't. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't doesn't um, have to be. But I don't think there's a world you can say. Missouri isn't worse today than it was two days ago. I think that's fair. I think I mean, that's they're worse. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah.
Well, with transfer portal here, that means it is college football bowl season. And on Booth Review this week, Kent Swanson sat down to talk to Nick Schwartz about the Kansas Jayhawks and they're going bowling. And also to talk about a little Heisman voting as well. It is, it's postseason college football right on the corner. And it is just a great time. December college football, big deal. But the Jayhawks are playing in December. So that is definitely very cool. No one really thought that would happen this year, but they are going bowling. And Kent and Nick sat down to talk about Heisman, bowling, where what bowl game they're going to go to, and what it's going to look like for the Jayhawks in a bowl game in December. Yeah, dude. I, the first thing I need to know is, does Jalen Daniels get the Heisman vote that I just learned that you you possess? So is Jalen Daniels getting it? You know, what's so funny is before the season began, I was doing a different podcast and a, a buddy of mine asked me, he goes, what would Jalen Daniels need to do to be in Heisman, to get an invite to New York, to get one of your Heisman votes? And I said, okay, well, he would need to throw for 28 touchdowns, give me eight rushing uh, six or less interceptions and KU needs to win eight games. And through five weeks, I was like, Oh my God, he might end up getting one of my votes. But at that point it wasn't even like, I'm nervous. I'm going to have to vote for him. It was legitimately, he might be one of the five best players in college football. We know what happened from there, but it's disappointing because I was like, this is, this is real. Like through, he's one of the best players in college football, and it wasn't just a feel-good, cute story. This kid from Kansas is sort of having a nice little season. By a lot of metrics, he was one of the best players in football, and it's unfortunate the way things panned out. But uh, I mean, still, even with all the time he missed, an incredible season from him. Oh man, it's uh, it's been so it's been so fun to watch his growth, his progression, and I feel like I feel like the last two weeks we still haven't seen the full version of Jalen Daniels either. Like it was impressive that he came back from the injury and he looked night and day better this past week against Kansas state than he did against yeah. Texas. But we still didn't get to see the guy that we saw the first five weeks of the season. I don't think. No, it's, I don't know if it's as much a confidence level, but you don't play football for a month and a half you can't expect a guy to hit the ground running. And then you account for the fact it's not just an injury. It's a separated shoulder in his throwing shoulder. So to think that he's going to be able to come back, have his full range of motion, and also trying to knock that rust off, you're right. He's not the same guy. I would be interested to see now knowing that he's going to have virtually three to four weeks off before playing an actual football game mm -hmm. again be real interested to see what he looks like in a bowl game assuming that KU is playing you know at the end of December well we have a big week this week for Kansas City Sports Network and on one-on-one -on -one this week Jeff Allen and Mike DeVito sat down to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals and actually the Kansas City Chiefs the rest of the season their schedule and they have the easiest strength of schedule the rest of the year. And this Bengals is kind of the, the last hurdle they really have to get over right now to prepare for postseason and to get their confidence back. This last game against the Rams, it just wasn't pretty. And they just needed to work some work on some stuff. But hopefully they come out against the Bengals and it's one cohesive team. They have three games on the road the Chiefs do. And that's that's a, that's a tough stretch. But I'm on one this week. The guys talked about what they will need to do to defeat the Bengals and really win out the rest of the season. 
I I think that oh, and Jordan just just shot this to me. He said Kansas City has the easiest strength of schedule left in the NFL. That is a scary. That's scary. That's great. That is a scary thought. So then this obviously is the toughest team on the on the block. Um, you know, I remember 2013. Remember when we lost to the Colts in that in that wild card game? Yeah. That that was killer. That was killer. And uh, I remember. I don't necessarily think of it as a revenge game. But I remember being incredibly motivated to get back to that next season because I wanted to write that wrong and and get things going. Um, Talk to me about revenge games in general, brother. Are these a thing? Like, do you think Kansas City, a lot of those guys were there last year. Do they're thinking about this as, hey, we got to get back and make this one right from last year? Without a doubt. Coaches, players, um, the entire staff, everybody. Support yeah. anybody in that Chiefs building. They want to win this game. They want to win it bad. And they don't want to just win it. They want to make a statement, especially mm-hmm. the way that we lost them during the regular season um, with the intent of, you know, winning the AFC championship game and playoffs coming up short again um, for no other reason than us making mistakes. Right. It, it was it was our own fault. Um, we kind of had a meltdown there offensively. And um, I know this entire offseason they were motivated by that loss. Um, and it's kind of propelled them to this record that they have now. And they get the opportunity to play the same team that kicked them out the playoffs. So, And then it's along the path of getting that number one seed. So there, there's right. a lot of importance to this game because the Bengals are hot right now. They look yeah. like a really good football team. They started out 0-2. They've won, you know, seven of the last nine or something like that. Um, Joe Burrow looks really good. The offensive line is protecting really well. Their weapons are doing really well. J- Jamar Chase is healthy. Um, I think Joe Mixon is going to be back. So it's going to be a test. Um, but I, I think, and I always think, um, no one's going to beat the Chiefs but the Chiefs. Yeah, right. It's up That's- to us executing. Um, we're not only – um, the best team on paper. I just think we have the, the the best mindset right now. And you can see that Rams game. I mean, we kind of blew by through this this podcast. Um, nobody really cares. I mean, they nah. they feel like they lost that game. Right. Um, that's one of those games where you're fortunate enough to get the win, but there's a lot to learn from it. So I'm I'm, I'm excited to see what they do this week against a really good football team, and um, especially with what happened last year. Yeah, that's a dangerous perspective. Too. I didn't even think of that element. But not only you're you have this idea of a revenge game, but you have this team looking at last week like a loss, right? So this is also a bounce back, yeah. get back on track game. Uh, yeah. So those are uh, that's a couple extra motivating things going into this. You do have to worry though, and one thing I didn't think about that you brought up. I mean, I, I always am worried about a team that starts zero and two and is able to put together a seven and four. Right? I mean, starting over two zero and two is a devastating. And, you know, I mean, I don't know what the percentages are, but the percentages of making the playoffs drop. So like, Single digit. Yeah, Owens to start. So to bounce back, to be 7-4, and four, to get things right, you know, this is a resilient team too. So this is not one of those games that you can come out and just start flat because these guys are, uh, you know, these guys can can play and they'll, they'll hop up and make you pay for your mistakes. So got to come out 100 miles an hour. But we know we're going to do that, Big Jeff. Any other thoughts going into this game before we before we head out? I mean, any sort of – what are you looking for? Anything specific? I mean, obviously Burrow's the guy, right? Burrow's the guy. I, th- I think um, defensively we just got to keep him off schedule. He's, he's right. a pocket guy, but he does have mobility. Well, Burrow is the guy, and he, he actually has had a really good career so far. You know, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but Burrow is living up to his hype. And – the Kansas City Chiefs will take him on on Sunday, but Casey Lab sat down this week and Matt Lane is not happy. 
about how the Kansas City Chiefs are making this game against the Bengals a Super Bowl when it should not be. And yes, this is a big game for the Chiefs. It's a revenge game, but it should just be any other game. The Chiefs have the one seed. They should be able to maintain that. It's kind of in their own hands right now. Casey Lab, Craig, Kent, and Matt sat down to talk about this game specifically and why rising to that hype isn't necessarily the best thing for the Chiefs to do right now. The offense has uh, not said a ton. What do you, what timeout? What? I, what? Craig, you weren't here earlier this week. Kent tried to end the show before we talked defense. He actively tried what? to get us out of the show before a single word was uttered about the defense. Can Almost you believe this? It. Almost had it. I did. Just it was I, Maddie, I can't wait for our next podcast where <laughs> we're just going to talk trash about Kent the entire time and forget his name, just call him by the wrong number and just, just talk trash about him the entire time. I forgot this happened. I had to make sure we talked about it. And we didn't really intro Craig. I asked him a question. He threw it back to me. Then we just skipped over it. Look, so I, I wanted to bring Craig back in. But yeah, you know, can't, can't try to just skip right on over the defense. It was, it was every, something. Everyone knows who Craig is because Craig is great. No, We're going to start the offensive side of the football, though. And like, I know the defense has been the ones talking. And like, I know that's where the, um, where the, the quotes have come from. Uh, the bear being poked or the bangle being poked, if you will. But I think controlling emotions on the offensive side of the, the football is probably the most important side to be managing this. Like, I think it's to the point where this should be a storyline for this football game uh, it is one of the three that we're going to be doing on the offensive side of the ball, because that was an emotional ending. That was an emotional half of football. I mean, the, I think the Chiefs played with that uh, with a, with an, uh, with some emotions in the second half, but the emotions were don't screw this up. Don't blow it. There was timidity. It was some fear. It was a lot of things. It was it was chaos. And and so I think, you know, there's some emotions that they they're going to have to fight themselves of trying to, to do too much of, you know, trying to to um, exercise some demons from what happened in the second half of that game. So I actually think, Matthew, like the, 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 the side of the football that probably needs to control their emotions the most is actually offense. I, I'm glad we're starting with this point. I, yes, the offense absolutely does. I think this goes to both sides. Um, so I think it's like the perfect kind of jumping off point here. The Chiefs seem really amped for this game. Mm -hmm. Like really amped. And beyond players, beyond even Andy Reid almost giving a little bit of a nod to like, hey, this game's coming up. Like that kind of lets you know the level of big it is, is that even Andy kind of chimed in on it a little earlier and in a way that says this is a big game that's coming up. Uh, you have, you know, trainers from players talking about it. You have a player that wasn't here talking about it. Like, this is something. This is here. This is mattering to this team a lot. And you know what? I don't like it. I don't <laughs> like that the Kansas City Chiefs, who have hosted four straight AFC championship games, that went to back-to-back -back Super Bowls, that should have gone to another, credit to the Bengals for winning that game, but they should have gone to another, are making a non-Super Bowl game out of a, or making a Super Bowl out of a non-Super Bowl game. I do not like that. That is for other teams to do to the Chiefs right now. That is not something that I want to see the Chiefs doing. I don't like the Chiefs doing that. Well, hopefully this is not the Super Bowl for the Chiefs because they will be at it in Arizona this year. So we got to defeat the Bengals, get over this little 
mini Super Bowl, whatever people are calling it, and they can move on to go to the postseason, keep the one seed, and just win out to have that nice buy in the postseason as they make another run for the Super Bowl. We all would love to see that. I would love to see them in Arizona in February. But we have a ton of stuff this weekend. We have Kansas State in the Big 12 Championship. Transfer Portal is Monday. There's just a lot going on right now in Kansas City sports. But I will catch you up every single week right here on the Best Writing presented by Charlie Hustle.